the last few weeks together, we've been looking at uh, Paul's epistle uh, to the early church in Rome. This group of Christians, this small group of Christians, who were in the capital city of the greatest empire that had been known in the day. And Paul takes a lot of time to establish the understanding of what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus actually is, what God has actually done for you. And I think it's because of this. Because if you are secure, then you will live in a certain way. Every time the early Christians came into the city and every time they went out of their doors, they were surrounded on every side by reminders that the Roman Empire was the most powerful place in the world. And here was a group of people, a small group of people, in the middle of that empire going, actually, God has done something that is bigger than the empire, though it doesn't look like it. God has done something in the death of Jesus that has changed the world. The world has pivoted, though it doesn't look like it. And they needed to know, is God trustworthy? Can you trust him? Does he actually do what he says? Does God come up with all that he has promised in Christ? Now, no, just in brackets. Not does God do everything we wished he had promised. But has God done everything that he has promised in Christ? Is God trustworthy? Because if you think, if you believe that God is trustworthy, you will live in certain ways. If you don't, you will live defensive lives, you will live anxious lives, you will live guarded lives. And the bit that we're going to look at this morning is, um, is really the sort of the heart of the gospel. It's kind of like, if you need to explain what is the good news of Jesus about, this would actually do it, but it may not sound like it at first sight, but actually it's also something that would, as you apply it to your own heart and life, make sense to you. But I want to start in a different way. I want to start with this lady. This lady is called Demi Moore. Um, you might be aware of who she is. She's famous. She's an actress. She's rich. She's talented. And at least to half of the congregation this morning, she's remarkably good looking. And it was therefore quite strange, perhaps, in 2012, in an interview, this is what she said about her own life. What scares me is that I'm going to ultimately find out at the end of my life that I'm not really lovable. That I'm not worthy of being loved. That there's something fundamentally wrong with me. That I wasn't wanted here in the first place. That's quite a remarkable, sad, heartbreaking confession. Am I lovable? My biggest fear is that I'll get to the end and I'll find that I'm not worthy of being loved. There's something fundamentally wrong with me and I wasn't wanted here in the first place. You look at her. And you know a little bit about her, only the surface, of course. You don't really know anything about her. And you go, but you've got it all. And yet she's saying, but deep down, 
There's a gaping, gaping, gaping fear in the hole. Perhaps you wouldn't ever say it in the same way, but I wonder how many in the room would go, actually, I think I understand what she means. I think I know what she's on about. I might not have said it in the same way, and I might have not said it quite as art- in, in such an articulated way as that, but I kind of know what she's on about. Paul, in Romans, has already said that actually we've all been in that boat. The central truth, and we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, was this, that while we were still sinners, God loved us and Christ died for us. He did that when we were far off. So how much more will the love of God enable us to live now? So Paul, in unpacking this, and we're going to pick it up at verse 12 of the fifth chapter. So if you've got a Bible, um, pick it up there in chapter 5, verse 12. And as I keep saying, it's probably more helpful to you read the Bible alongside this because his thought is dense and it's not always easy just to get to grips with what he's saying by listening. Part of the the difficulty of of the letter is that Paul's writing a a string of thoughts that actually connect with one another, whereas we keep breaking it up to try and get a handle on what's going on. So he said in the first part of chapter 5, verse 6, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 12, he picks it up and he says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And then there's a line, there's a dash. and there's a, Yeah? You, you've all got a dash? Yeah. 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 What happens at that point is Paul breaks off from his thought. Now this is this is great it gives me great delight because I'm always using starting half a sentence and then deciding I'll come back to that half sentence later. And that's exactly what Paul's done here. He's got his first thought and he gets halfway through his sentence and he stops that thought and then from verse 13 to verse 17 is the this is what I want to say first and I'll, get, I'll come back to the sentence. So actually, what I want to do is just leave 13 to 17 for a moment and try and trace his big thought. So I'll read it again. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass, one sin, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. But just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what's he talking about? Well... He's talking about sin. 
Now, when we talk about sin, we can think of sort of the things that you've done wrong. You know, you might think over the last week and go, actually, when I said that, that was just wrong. When I thought that, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I'd done this. I, I, I decided not to do that. And I wish I'd done that because that would have been the right thing. And you might actually recognise that those things are sins. And, and you're right, up. But here, Paul is not talking about, in a sense, small sins. He's going for a big picture. And he is explaining, how did we get into the mess? What he says is sin entered through one man and death came through that action. And he's taking you back to the Garden of Eden. And he's saying, when Adam, when Adam and Eve, when Adam made that decision to say to God, I'd rather do this on my own because I can't trust you. Because that's essentially when the fruit was offered, the temptation was, you surely, you, you're not really trusting God, are you? You can't really trust God. And Adam and Eve go, yeah, you, no, you can't really trust God. So, so we'll do what we think is right and we'll say to God, God, it's all very well and good you being there, but actually I'd rather be independent a little bit because I can't quite trust you. That's the big sin. And the other stuff, the, the lies, the selfishness, the gossip, all that sort of stuff, those are kind of like little sins. But the big sin is the independence from God. The big sin is, I'd rather do life without you. The big sin is, you're not trustworthy. The big sin is, I can't allow myself to trust you. So I'll cut myself off from you. I'll do it my way. And what Paul starts to do is he talks about sin as though sin almost becomes a personality. It's like a person. It's like a monster that's been unleashed way back in the garden. So what does sin do? Because what Paul talks a lot about is what sin is doing. So it's no longer like you just do these sins, but actually sin is doing, sin's acting. It's like it's got a character. What does sin do? Well, one of the things that sin does, sin takes your legitimate needs and it offers you an illegitimate solution. All right? Let me try and explain what I mean by that. Sin takes your legitimate needs and it offers you an illegitimate solution. So you might say, well, actually, let's think of an example. All right, you, you think of an example. I can't think of one. What's a legitimate need that you might have? Food. Okay, food. It's a legitimate need. I'm hungry. I need, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. And if you were in a subsistence economy, the fear might be, I'm not going to have enough for tomorrow. Okay, because you, you're living hand to mouth. So what's the illegitimate solution? Steal. Hoard. Be selfish. All that sort of stuff. So sin says, you've got a legitimate need, but you, you can't trust God with it, can you? So there's an illegitimate solution. A legitimate need might be, I need intimacy. I need to be loved. And you might go, but in my situation right now, that's not happening to me. And therefore, I'm going to go and look for it here. A legitimate need, but sin says, oh, well, you can get yourself sorted out here. A legitimate need is, I need money. I need money to make, make my way in life. 
And sin comes in and goes, mm, you do. So how are you going to make the most money? How can you get the most quickest? Or how can you make sure that you're never without money? And it becomes illegitimate solution. That's what sin does. Sin comes in and starts to say, I know what you need. And this is how I will solve it for you. And then, like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> says, now I can possess you. The ring that looks so shiny and looked like it was the solution then becomes a thing that controls you. Sin has taken on a personality. And sin now has us. And Paul says... Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and then death through sin, because that's the other thing that happens, is sin comes and it suggests to you that you've got life. But actually what results in it is your death. I'll come back to that later. And in this death, in this, death came to all people. This week, you'll have been watching the news and you will have heard again about Ebola. This virus and the fear that it's starting to raise. And the big fear, as we all know, is that it's contagious and it's easily contagious. It passes really simply. It passes, as you know, if you've got someone who's very infected or infected at all, it'll pass by touch. And everybody is like, this is the big fear that the World Health Organization has is how do you stop? This, this contagion. And so, you know, we, we're trying to screen out people who might be uh, carriers. And it's a big, big deal. Well, Paul is saying, what's happened is, that death that Adam had is like a contagion that's affected us all. It's like a virus. And his desire for independence has actually affected us all, that we're all involved in it somehow. That we all are aware of sin. It's like he's saying the door was opened by Adam and we were all affected. And then he says, but actually, that's just the bad news. God did something. This is verse 13 now. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin has not charged against, is not charged against anyone's account where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even of those who didn't sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who's a pattern of the one to come. That's a dense bit, don't worry about it. I'll come back to that when I talk about law next week, perhaps. But the gift, the gift isn't like the trespass. It's not like the sin. For if the many died by the trespass, or the sin of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin, brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if the, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, 
Just the, the simple thing to say. Spot how many times gift is used there. Verse 15, the gift is not like the sin. Verse uh, 16, the, uh, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. Verse, uh, and then it says it again, doesn't it? The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? Paul is saying it four times. He wants to bang home that we, as a world, we're in a mess because that contagion of independence from God was the problem. But God gave a gift to change the situation. God steps in. His righteous act frees us. It justifies us. It brings life for all. Through Jesus' obedience, we are brought into a righteous state. We've got peace with God and we are made righteous. Now, I really want you to get this. Alright, so if you don't hear anything else, get this. This can sound just like God talk or church talk, but this is where it sort of comes down to the ground. You and I know that none of us are as good as we would wish we were. None of us do it right all the time. We're all living with the frustration of our own sinfulness. We're all living with the frustration of what we are like. You can then decide, well, I hope God is really kind and won't mind too much. That's one way of thinking about it. And that's how a lot of people with folk religion think. They think, well, I'm not that bad. Really? Compare me with someone else and I'm really good. So God surely is going to wink at me. He's going to get, oh, you're all right. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're all in the same boat. And it's not that God's going to go, oh, you're all right. Bless you. Oh, oh, you didn't mean it. Never mind. He goes, no, if you own up and go, to be honest, I'm in a mess here. God, the gift of God in Jesus will say, I will rescue you from your own frustration. And it's not now a matter of saying, well, I hope God's in a good mood when I get to heaven. It's actually in Jesus, I am made right. Well done, Val. Thanks ever so much. I'm, 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 I'm preaching my guts out here. And to be honest, even a little echo of a hallelujah. I mean, it's not exactly a sort of like call and response, but it'll do. You can come again. Please. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, number one, it means I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend with God. I don't have to try and scrub myself up and go, oh, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try better. I'm going to try harder. And when you've messed up, it doesn't mean to say, you can't own up. But it does mean that you can't just think, well, God really loves me, so everything else will be okay. It means, it's like this. You and I, we were drowning in a sea that was going to overwhelm us. And God came and he threw a life belt 
out to you and me. And if you grab it, you will be saved. <laughs> Literally. That's what happened. And that's what happened when you became a Christian. It's like God said, you're in a sea and it's, it's raging and you're in a mess. And the mess is, is partly of our own making. And the lifeboat's been thrown out. Grab the light, but life, I can't even say it anymore. <laughs> the lifeboat. Grab it. Okay. In chapter 6, he says this. What should we say? Should we go on sinning so that grace might increase? By no means. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live it in, it in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. But we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What Paul does is he goes back to the moment you were baptised. The mark of change was in baptism. This is why baptism is so important. Because actually at that moment, when you were taken and you were put under the water and you were put, pulled back up again in adult baptism, that's the moment where you go, I've died to the old way of life. And I have been I'm united with Christ in his death and I've been raised to life with Christ. I'm, 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 it's almost like Jesus says, I'm pitching you in on and uniting you with me in my death and I'm raising you to life to live with me. In a new power. That's why baptism is so incredibly important. It's not a matter of just a way of joining the church. It's actually that in baptism itself, something is being replayed, relayed. Something's happening and it's happening to you. The old life has been put to death. It can have no claim on you. Do you remember sin? This monster, this power, this personality, coming and going, you're mine, you've got no power over me. You, you've got to do what I say. That's what sin can look like sometimes. Oh, I couldn't help it. How many people say that? I couldn't help it. No, 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 no. Now, when you got baptised, it's like, I died to that master. I'm going to live for Jesus. 
And it's not me trying hard to live for Jesus. It's that actually, in some way, that's difficult to explain, but Paul seems to understand is you've been united with Christ. Of course, you're aware of sin. But you can handle it now. You don't have to give in. Of course you're tempted, but you don't have to go with it. Of course you're aware of what you might do, but you can actually walk in the light. Sin cannot hold you because, in verse 5, if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. And verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe we will live with him. You and I have been raised to life with Christ. Not just for now, but forever. <laughs> Good, Susie. You're getting the hang of it. It's just a little slow, but you're getting the hang Now, actually, that, that should make a difference tomorrow morning. Because you don't have to go down the well-worn ruts of, couldn't help it. They wind you up at work. You react some way. No, 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 no. You don't need to. Because that master sin, that again, no, you can get your own back now. Go on, go on, say it, say it. Say, no, 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 you're, you're no longer master of me. I've been raised with Christ. Those legitimate needs of, I need, I need intimacy, I need, I need money, I need food, I need power. No, 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 no. I don't need to go down that route now of letting sin dictate where I find those answers. I've been raised with Christ. I've got a different way of living. I'm aware of his power within us. His inner resources. So, Paul says, so count yourself dead to sin. Just a couple more. Have you heard of this? The Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm Syndrome was a phrase that was introduced um, after uh, a raid in Stockholm. And someone says there's a syndrome there, and we should call it the Stockholm Syndrome. And the Stockholm Syndrome is that thing where if you've been captured, what happened was there was a raid and uh, some people had been captured uh, by a group of people, I think it was in a bank, but they were captured and they were kept in captivity for six days. And at the end of six days, the people who had been captured said, as they were being released, these people weren't all that bad, you know. No, really, they were, they were okay. And, and the Stockholm Syndrome is where actually the people who put you in captivity, you grow to quite like. And actually, you might even identify with, and you might actually support them. It sounds a little odd, but it happens time and time again. I was thinking about this. <laughs> you might now wonder, what goes on in your head? <laughs> I was thinking about this. When I was reading about Paul saying, don't let sin reign. You see, it's possible that actually we become like Stockholm. We get Stockholm Syndrome with sin. We know it's the enemy, but actually we grow quite used to it. We know it does us bad. We know it does wrong. We know it stunts our relationship with God. We know we can't live well, but actually we end up going, it's not. 
over the summer we spent nine weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest. But some of us gone, see, may I say, I'd rather stay frustrated, controlling, anxious, bothered about my work. Because it's not all that bad. It's like Jesus comes in and breaks into the Stockholm Syndrome and says, don't let sin rule you. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says, offer yourselves, uh, is it actually Offer yourselves to God. Yeah, it's verse, chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. You and I, we've been bought the gift has been offered. The life belt has been thrown out that we might live for something else, a bigger purpose. Ultimately, sin is like a drug dealer who comes and says, I'll offer you everything you want. Or sin's like alcohol when we misuse it. It offers us an escape or it offers us comfort. It's like any of those drugs. And then in the end, it catches you. The resentment, the unforgiveness jails you. The things that you wanted to, um, for it to take your pain away it captures you. I wonder what you'd want to say to Demi Moore. An attractive, rich, talented, middle-aged woman who's frightened that nobody will ever find her lovable. Paul would say, come and offer your life to God's purpose. The one who loves you the one who gave himself as a gift to you. The one who can save you. Maybe he can say it to us too. Well, I'm through. With thanks to Val and Susie, who were preaching it with me. Um, I appreciate that. And to the rest of you who stayed away for most of it. Seems run away. <laughs> we can't say <send. laughs> Yeah. No. Yeah, great, please. Um, what happens when. Tell that to me, What happens when we do succumb again? Yeah. And again. And again. And again. Because I'm, I'm, I'm here thinking that that sounds great, and I know it's true. I want to be able to get up tomorrow morning and, and do that and take the life belt. But I know, knowing myself, that I'm not going to do that necessarily every single day for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking to myself, oh no, I, I'm feeling guilt already for when I don't do it. Yeah. 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 That's a really good question. <laughs> And if we had time, we'd uh, probably have No. It's <laughs> a really good question. And we, we were talking about this on Wednesday night at the book group. Exactly, that was exactly the same question, really. And this is how I see it. And I think this is where, I think this is where the New Testament has it. Firstly, um, I think for those who have surrendered to Jesus, who go, you set me free, I'm free with you. You are not primarily, your primary identity is not a sinner. That's the first thing. 
You are not primarily a sinner. You are primarily a disciple of Jesus. You have been bought. You're his. However, and I think the New Testament seems to be clear in this, you, you will mess up. You don't have to, but you will. And actually, in, in another letter, what, uh, John says, and if you say you don't, you're probably lying. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, this, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between that hard-hearted, focused thing that says, God, I don't care about you anymore. I'm just doing my own way. That sort of hard-headed independence that says, don't, I don't give a fig about anything. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. At that point, you cut yourself off from the very offer of forgiveness. Because you go, I don't care. I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm going to do my own thing. But for those of us who have been made new, who've been made right, and we're sort of living in ways that go, I did it again. I, I... Then, then if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin. I'm really encouraged that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, one of the things he said, this is how you pray, pray regularly, is um, forgive us our sins. It's like Jesus expected, yeah, you'll need, you'll need this. <laughs> but I think a heart that says actually when I mess I keep coming back to the one who will always forgive and I'm not I'm not going to let it control and sin controls in a number of ways isn't it? and one of them is guilt that's another way that sin controls us because yeah. you mess up once you mess up twice or even a third time and you go that's it I don't think I don't think I could ever be used by God now I don't think God would ever look with me on fa with favour I don't think God has anything good for me. And I think the, the dethroning of sin is, actually that guilt is not the final word, it's not true. It may actually be something that propels me back to the cross, but it's not the final truth about me. Does that make, does that make sense? That, um, when, when sin abounds, grace abounds more. Yeah, it, yeah. Because it's as if God's then made that provision Grace keeps coming and saying, actually, I'm going to deal with that. I can deal with that. I can deal with it. I think the big question is, what direction are you facing when you've messed up? Do you face the cross or do you face with your back to the cross and go, I don't care? And I think if you, if you face the cross, it's like, well, grace. We're making sure we don't slip into cheap grace. But cheap grace, yeah. Yeah, and we're back to that thing of uh, God will not, it, you know, it cost, it cost God his son. You know, that's the sort of the, the hammer blow. and it's, So it's not that cheap grace of, oh, bless. It's, no, the sin has been paid for. Don't let it, don't let it rain. Now, one of the things that I think is in part of this is that sort of idea then of, well, how do you help one another? Because it's not just like heroic individualism, I'm, I'm going to tackle this on my own. 
If you know there is an area and a situation where you are prone to be weak in, and you will have, we all have, and there will be moments and times and seasons in your life when you are likely to be more, you are more likely to fall into that sin. If you're tired, and if you're under stress, and if you're feeling sorry for yourself, it's more likely you'll fall into your besetting sin, whatever your besetting sin is. For some people that's lust, for other people it's like a resentment, for other people it's like just being really hard and brittle, and for other people it's like just being selfish and greedy. You'll fall into it when you feel under stress, tired, or sorry for yourself. So when you can feel those things coming on, and sometimes other people can spot them before you can. When... <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> exactly, see what I mean? Um... <laughs> When you know you're getting into that situation, that's the moment to say to the people around you, I may need some help here. That's what called being part of the body of Christ. Now the problem is, most of us don't feel confident enough to do that with one another because we don't want to be that vulnerable because we think, if they knew what was really going on in my head, they'd never speak to me again. We share our story, maybe. People say, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'd never be used by God, and I, you know, they wouldn't even let me welcome people on the door if they knew what I was thinking. But actually, the body of Christ says, no, come, and it's not a pity party. It's, it's when we come and go, I'm struggling. Can you help me? And we come together and we go, God, he's struggling. And it's not my pop psychology he needs, it's your deliverance. And I'm going to stand with him or her and I'm going to pray, God, will you do something here that would change this situation we're in? Will you give resilience? Will you give strength uh, to her that she might stand firm? And then what you don't do is say, I'm just going to go and have a coffee now and tell everybody else what you just heard. You, you keep it to yourself. You hold it because actually someone has been brave enough to say, I'm struggling right now. There's a very, I, I, I'm sorry, we may go over 12 o'clock. Um, there's a very famous story of a reporter at, um, at one of the, the Nazi criminals' case in uh, Nuremberg. I can't remember the details exactly, but I, I, I was reading about it earlier in the week. And um, he, he, he wrote a piece about the fear he had about the Nazi criminal. And he said the biggest fear was, I'm him, and he's me. And he could look into the eyes of the person who's done the worst thing and go, I understand how he might have done that. Now I think that when you get to that sort of stage where you go, I understand. Let's go to the one who throws the life belt out. <laughs> yeah. And let's go together. And that stops this idea that you know, and some of you will, will feel this. Some of you will look around this room and go, I bet this, these people, they're really good people. They seem to scrub up really well. <laughs> um, no, you're getting the wrong end of the stick, Janet. <laughs> well, no. And other people, and, and you're going, but I'm rubbish. I'm hopeless. And Jesus comes and goes, no, 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 you're not. We're in the same boat. So, Thanks for the question, it's a good question. We're going to... I'm going to give it over to you, you can decide what you want to do with this. But I think we're going to pray first, and then uh, we're going to go into communion and lead us for a while.
the big prayer this morning was that this would be helpful for you, and I hope it's helpful. Father God, will you take your word, the bits of your word that we've read today, will you bring them alive into our heart? Lord, I pray for the things that I've tried to say and express. Lord, I pray that the things that would be useful and helpful and from you, I pray they would stay and the other stuff would go. Lord, thank you that we want to serve you. We want to be a people who know the power of the resurrection, the power of being made free, the justification of our sin, that sense of being made new. Lord, I pray for those of us who this morning would be very aware of our own frailty. Lord, I pray that we might know that renewed forgiveness that sets us free, that sin will not master us, that it does not have a hold over us, that we can be 